0: This is Renewed Church OC. We're a church for imperfect people only. Thanks for listening. I'm Pastor Wilson. Join us on our Facebook page to watch our Sunday service at 1030. And join our Zoom watch parties to meet our community. We have watch parties for every life stage to help you re-socialize after being stuck at home for a few months. There's a bunch of other links to give you access to our events, small groups, and to invest in our church community. 2020 has been surreal. I think we're on trauma as we process a pandemic, racial injustice, and a recession. It's like we're living in three bad movies. We are walking through the book of James in our how-to series because we need his word to give us wisdom and direction in this time of chaos. For the first three weeks, we are tackling how to fight addiction with a focus on pornography. We're all feeling deep loneliness and pain over the pandemic and many of us have seen our addictions escalate to numb the pain. If that's you, you're not alone and you don't have to fight alone. We don't heal in shame and isolation. I hope you find Jesus' love in your darkest sin and that it will draw you towards him and community. Enjoy the sermon. Well, we're starting a new series in the book of James, and I love James because it is a book of wisdom. It's like the Proverbs of the New Testament, and wisdom is critical in this moment. You know, wisdom is different from knowledge. When you think about knowledge, it's it's simply knowing the truth, knowing the facts. But wisdom is about applying those facts in a specific context. Wisdom is is this marriage, is knowledge and our will holding hands, the execution of knowledge in our life. And don't we need wisdom in the middle of chaos right now? There's just so much upheaval in our society. The pandemic has turned our world upside down. And I just think about how important it is to have wisdom so we don't uh, get lost, so that wisdom can continue to course our life. So this is our how-to series. We're walking through kind of five subsections. First, we're going to talk about how to fight sexual addiction and uh, and addiction in general. So the next three weeks, we're going to kind of have that as the landing point um, over James chapter one. And then we're going to talk about how to use privilege, how to use our voice, how to think differently, and how to take the next step. So it's extremely practical series rooted in in James as he helps us understand wisdom in this time of chaos. Um, This this one, these next four verses are the anchoring passage. I just want to go through it as an introduction to the series in verse five. It says, if any of you lack wisdom, he should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. So I see verse 5 through 8 as the anchor for all the how-tos of James. And the invitation here that James is giving us is to ask God for wisdom, to ask God to course our life, so we're not like a wave of the sea being blown and tossed. But He implores us, He encourages us that when we ask for wisdom, that we would believe and not doubt. You know, uh, my simple illustration is Liam. He's my son, three and a half years old. I imagine him coming to me and like asking for wisdom, asking for advice on something, right? Like, should I share with my friends? How much candy should I eat? You know, what, how do I repair my, my transformer that was broken? And let's say I sit down with him, I give him advice and then he's like, okay, dad, thanks for, thanks for helping me through that. But I'm going to talk to all of my daycare friends that are three years old and see what they have to say, you know, and just kind of weigh my options. I would be so offended, right? I'm like, I've lived 10 of his lifetimes. He's three and a half. I'm over 35. And I have so much more wisdom than any of his preschool friends. And in the same way, God's, God's saying, when you ask me for wisdom, do what I say. When you come to me for advice and I give you direction and purpose, just follow it. Don't doubt it. Don't weigh it against bloggers and friendships and uh, Wikipedia. When I give you wisdom, follow through. So as we go through the book of James and it speaks to addiction and how to use our voice and privilege, I hope that as the Lord gives you wisdom and the will to course your life, that you would make a decision to follow it. That you would believe it and trust it. All right. um, We're going to start our our first look at James. But before that, we always open our service and our sermon with a question. So the question is, in one word, describe 2020 and why. All right. In one word, describe 2020 and why. We're going to give you just uh, five minutes to talk through that. And again, all of our Zoom groups are doing this uh, face-to-face, and we'd love for you to be a part of that. Otherwise, you could go ahead and comment as well, your one word for 2020. I'll be back in five minutes. All right, I hope you guys came up with some uh, words to help process this whole this whole year. Some of our team was talking about, what was it, done and dud and Greg wants to turn 25 again next year. It, it shouldn't count, right? That's what we were talking about. 2020 shouldn't count. Some of my friends put up, um, I did this as a Facebook post, and I got some cool responses. Tani uh, from our church said paused. I felt that. Uh, Hannah Pham said heavy. Justine, one of my favorite volleyball partners, said wasted, which I replied has a double meaning. Uh, Celine wrote Epiphany and I asked her what she meant by that and she said there's so many people she's talked to realize something about their family or their marriage. She said parents realize they don't want their kids to see their kids for that long. A lot of couples realize how poorly they communicate and she wrote singles looking within themselves or learning to love themselves in order to be okay being alone. So I really appreciated that. Uh, Vicky put up some gifs and then Rebecca used the word grief. And I, I really resonate with grief. I, I just think about all the losses that we've suffered communally in 2020. Remember 2019? Do you remember it? Remember Disneyland, <laughs> the happiest place on earth is gone now. It's sad. It's really sad. Remember live. Remember when service was 150 people and we would give hugs. We like live in a hugless world. It's really sad. And you know, more seriously, I mean, just so much has happened. Uh, Think layers on top of layers. I've never seen so many movies pressed into four months. A pandemic. Um, you know, racial protests and and all of that surfacing. We have economic upheaval. Uh, remember that Australia was burnt to a crisp, right? No, no one remembers ko- the koalas anymore, but that happened. And I feel bad about this, but when I s- watch Kobe Bryant clips, I still feel really sad that he's passed away. And and I almost feel like, you know, I shouldn't feel sad anymore because there's so many other things that have happened. Um. And then I think about James. How would he describe 2020? What's the one word he would use? And I'm guessing that he would use the word joy. That kind of (laughs) sucks. James chapter 1 verse uh, 2 says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Well, we we got the trials of many kinds. We got so many kinds of trials this year. Uh, Wave after wave of trials. And James says, consider it pure joy, pure joy. Doesn't that sound like the worst Christian cliche, like something you'd hang on your bathroom wall? It's just, it's like nauseating to think that we would have a reaction of joy to the trials that we've been through. It's nauseating to think about James suggesting that to the early church. He writes to all of the churches um, and during this time, they're facing intense persecution. They've be- become refugees. Some of their own family members are in jail. They've, got, they've gotten fired from their jobs because of their faith. And James is saying, consider it pure joy. It feels just so insincere and um, insensitive. But look at the rest of this passage and how he justifies us feeling joy. He says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Look at these highlighted words, trials, testing, perseverance, mature and complete, and see that James is tying one thing to another. That through external trials in our lives, things being taken away, we're able to test our faith. We're able to see if our faith is real. If, if the, our theology and the things we know are actually true to who we are. We're able to understand how deep our faith goes and whether it's faulty and just words that we know how to recite or whether it's something that we can trust and lean on, something that's proven. Trials test our faith. And through the testing of faith, we're able to develop perseverance. We're stretching and expanding our, our faith. And then out of that comes a maturity comes our faith developing, comes progression, completeness, so that we don't lack anything. I think the easiest way for us to understand this is through athletics. So if you're an athlete, if you love basketball or boxing or running, and you want to develop as an athlete, what do you do? You look for opportunities to strengthen, to uh, endure challenges, in order to become a stronger athlete. I had a friend who was uh, really big into cross country and he said that, you know, in cross country, you race for about three miles at the meet, but during practice, your coach is trying to give you trials. He's trying to test you. He, He adds trials into the athlete's life in order for them to mature and develop. And so instead of they don't just run three miles at practice, many practices are ten miles. So that three, the first three miles becomes like a warm up, and then he has them run in the hottest parts of the day. He waits for the toughest parts of the year and have have them run then, or he takes them to hot the highest altitudes in the area. He has them run in thin air. He's actually injecting trials into the athlete's life in order for them to grow in perseverance, and uh, mature as an athlete. So we can understand this with athletics, but does that knowledge transfer over into our spiritual life? Right, The athlete is able to rejoice in their trials, not because they enjoy running 10 miles, but because they're looking at the product of the trials. The product is maturity and development, and you're rejoicing in what, and how the trials bring that out. In the same way, James is calling us to rejoice in trials. He's saying that when the trials come, it gives us an opportunity to mature. And actually, if we didn't have trials, our faith doesn't mature. There's actually a grieving when there's when someone never goes through a trial because they don't have the opportunity to be strengthened and to develop their faith. Trials gives us maturity, and that's why we find joy in it. Let me give you an easy example. You know, um, think about patience. Let's say you want to be a more patient person. So you sit back and like, God, would you give me more patience? What does he do? Does he just sprinkle patience on you and ta-da, you have more patience? No, he brings an annoying person into your life, right? He brings someone that you want to cancel or block, and he's like, you're going to be called to this person. And as he annoys you, as she presses your buttons, as she triggers you, you decide to continue to trust in the Lord, to love them, to walk with them, to stay put. And that allows you to persevere so that you can mature in your patience. The way that God uses trials is that he constructs Around, He uses your life as a curriculum in order for you to mature your faith. Those trials in your life is the curriculum that God uses to deepen the word so that it's not just knowledge, it becomes wisdom. It's not just a fact you know or a theology you understand, but it becomes contextualized into your life so that you're maturing in your faith. Have you embraced the trials in your life and seen it as an opportunity to mature? When I look at trials leading to testing, leading to perseverance and maturity, we see the black arrows. And I'd say when the black arrows represent uh, automatic transitions, like trials will automatically become testing. Perseverance will automatically force you or allow you to mature but the red arrow represents something that's not automatic when we're tested we don't automatically persevere in fact perseverance i think is one of the most lacking or weakest aspects of our generation like millennials and gen z we're known for not persevering that's one of our mo's is that we walk out we quit uh we don't press through we have a very finite tolerance for pain and perseverance. And I've seen this in myself, I've seen this in our generation. I'll give you a silly example, but when I grew up, my dad bought me a Nintendo and it came with Mario. And it took me like three years to beat stage two of Mario, right? I just failed over and over again. And then you think about a few generations of games later, you get to put it on easy mode or hard mode. You can change the whole environment of the game for your success. And now when I start up games on my apps, I can't fail. Like there's games where if you're alive, you're gonna beat the first many levels. And I think that as we've seen our generation progress, there's our lack of perseverance is because we're used to being able to change the external around us so that we don't have to try anymore. The whole, I just looked at my iPhone, I spent eight hours a day on my phone. Isn't that terrible? <laughs> I was like, no, that's not the number I wanted. So eight hours a day, I get to enter into a world where I can, I can craft that world to meet and be shaped Toward me so that I'm comfortable, so that I'm not tested, so that I don't have to persevere through anything, right? Like social media, I could block whoever I want to, newslet outlets, I could, I could craft it so I'm not being triggered. And any game I play, I win. Perseverance is one of the most lacking aspects of our generation. We have um Instead of perseverance, we can easily go from te- testing trials and testing to addictions. Uh, we know how to sidestep. we know how to avoid. we know how to self-medicate and and in that addiction, instead of going from perseverance to maturity, we go from addictions to immaturity. We go from addictions to, um, being underdeveloped. The greatest function of addiction is to avoid pain. And so if you look at the next slide, here's you. You got pain ahead of you. And so what do we do? Instead of moving toward our pain, we go to all of our addictive tendencies in order to avoid pain. You know, for me, I've i gone through some pain in my life. I've had knee surgery. I, I got into boxing. I've taken dozens of falls, mountain biking. And there's almost this pride that I'm, I'm really tough, you know, that I have thick skin and that I have high pain tolerance. And I think a lot of guys pride themselves in having uh, high pain tolerance physically. But as I examine my own self, as I grow in self-awareness, I realize that my pain tolerance is actually extremely low when it comes to emotional pain, when it comes to rejection or uh, criticism, when it comes to feeling alone, when it comes to grief, that those pains are pains that I run away from. You know, it's almost like I'd rather break my arm than feel sad. And addiction is that way of walking around pain in order to not feel it. And one of the most prominent addictions uh, for our generation is pornography. Uh, Sexual addiction is so rampant, not just for men, but for women as well. And there's there's one kind of end point, but a thousand paths for why we turn to pornography. You know, for those of us who don't want to face rejection, the pain of rejection, we go to pornography because we're always accepted and wanted there. For those of us who want don't want to feel alone, we go to pornography because we feel like there's company. For those of us who are lacking worth, who are struggling with um, whether we have value, we go to pornography and we feel like the most important person in the world. I think the first couple years, I wrestled with with this in my life, and I just thought, oh, I'm perverted, you know, um, I'm I'm horny. And then I looked deeper and saw that it was me avoiding pain, me going to it to avoid sadness because it gives me ecstasy. You know, when we fight against addiction, it's about moving through the pain. It's about choosing to go through the pain of loneliness until we find that Jesus has been sitting with us all along. It's about choosing to walk into rejection so that we mature in our understanding of Jesus' acceptance and, and we're rooted deep into that. It's about embracing the loss of our job and the value that's attached to it in order to see that our value comes from Jesus, how he dies on the cross for us, how he created us. We persevere by saying that we are willing to move into pain instead of away from it. How do we do this? I think we do this in two ways. First, James chapter 5, verse 16 says, Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. You know, we've, our whole life, uh, People have given us addiction so that we don't feel pain. Um, social media is constructed for us to continue to be addicted and flip, uh, move our thumbs. Uh, gaming is is understanding what we want and giving it to us so that we succeed. Uh, pornography and apps make us feel like we're not alone. But what Jesus offers us is... Moving into our pain to come out the other side with community. Saying, hey, you have a church family where you don't have to be alone. And instead of going towards your addiction, you can move into your pain with brothers and sisters who will pray for you and walk into it with you and bring healing. Right? We're, we, if we were able to move into this pain alone, we would have done it already. We were afraid of it. It's it's scary and dark and we don't know if we'll make it out, and that's why God's given us a church family, and that's why James um, exhorts us to do it with each other, to confess your sins to each other, and pray for one another so that you may be healed. You know, um, sexual addiction is filled with shame, uh, maybe f- for women more than men, but. All of us struggle with it, and all of us are broken in different ways. And I think the version of church that we've created is a safe space to say, here's the worst of me, and how, how can we find healing together? And I think especially sexual addiction, uh, I remember just being bound by it in my 20s. I've, I've gained so much freedom in my 30s, but it's still there. But I remember being in my 20s every single week, falling multiple times into pornography and going to church, wishing someone would talk about it, wishing I could share with someone on it. And and it just felt like the whole year was met with silence until a retreat where everyone's crying, sharing their pain, and and then there's no follow up. And it's silent until the next winter retreat. Again, this might be pornography for me, but it might maybe it's an eating disorder for you. Maybe it's your depression. Maybe it's um, just hardcore image management. We're all addicted to something, and we need people to walk with us through that addiction. So this time around, I don't want it to just be a sermon series. Uh, I'm working with one of my close friends who's a marriage and family therapist specializing in sexual addiction. And we're putting together an eight-week workshop to start tackling uh, fighting, how to fight sexual addiction. It actually takes about two to five years in order to gain full freedom. That's the expectation we walk in with. But in the two months, we're focused on gaining sobriety for 90 days, and we are wanting to start creating small cohorts in which we can have accountability throughout the rest of the year, uh, actively looking for uh, ways to close off um, ourselves to porn. You know, when I first started, um, I was exposed to pornography at such a young age. Um, At third grade, I had a friend who who had a really dysfunctional family and he brought a stash of Playboy to my house and I I wasn't I didn't get it but but I was curious and then in fifth grade um, someone else exposed me to it um, but back then like if you wanted a video you had to walk into a store go behind a curtain find something like avoid eye contact with the cashier and check it out and then return it like a couple days later that there's a lot of obstacles. To pornography, ten years ago, uh, seven years ago, but now it's rampant, right? Now we have a hundred thousand videos in our pocket, and so we're looking for ways as a community to fight that together, and to find sexual, f- uh, and to find freedom from addiction together. And I, I am going to set up. Um, Um, a Facebook event where you guys can anonymously, you know, RSVP to, And then we'll have a female gather all the women on one Zoom call. Uh, The men will be on another and our therapist will talk to both and start giving us tools and a long-term course of action in order to find freedom. So we'll be talking about that over the next two weeks and then implementing it Monday nights, 8 p.m., August 17th. And this is for our Renew family. We'd love, I would love to see us find freedom in this area. The second way in which we walk into pain is with Jesus. Hebrews chapter 4, 15 through 16 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive grace and find, uh, receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. My prayer for us, brothers and sisters, is that when we face trial, when our faith is, faith is tested, and we want to move towards addiction instead of pain, we would lift our eyes to Jesus we would know that he suffered like us. He felt the weight of temptation like we did. And when we approach him, he always extends grace and mercy to us. You know, um, as we think about communion today and take it together, I remember how Jesus died on the cross for our sin, that his body was broken for us and his blood was shed. And really, I hate sharing about my weakness. I'd rather share about something I've conquered. But, um, but I do it because, not because I think the sin should be normalized in, in a way in which it doesn't matter or it's not a big deal, but I do it because I see the cross. And it's in his grace and acceptance that we get to lay out the worst parts of our lives and grow, and, and be loved, and, and find uh, empathy from our Lord, and progress together. I hope that during this season of our life, when COVID and staying at home has unearthed so much of our addiction, right? So much evil, whether it's us losing our temper with our wife and kids, or whether it's pornography, or hooking up, or going to marijuana just to let the days pass, that we get to come to Jesus and say, I can tackle the worst parts of myself. I get to, I can look into my addiction and, and find you there waiting for me to give me freedom, to help me walk towards my pain, and to find you. Father, this morning as we take communion, We take it knowing that we have have you, Jesus, taking our sin and shame on the cross so that we can face down our trials, our temptations, our our addictions with grace and love. That you're next to us in our worst moments, ready to help us up and give us freedom. And you've brought us brothers and sisters to stand with us in our worst moments and to show us your grace and love as well. In Jesus' name, amen.